Welcome back to Making It So. Uh, I'm your host, Craig, and my co-host, Matty. How you going, buddy? What's up? We're into our episode 22 of Making It So, and we are doing our wrap-up episode for season two of Strange New Worlds. Yeah, I think we tried to confine ourselves last se- last episode to not give away too much. <laughs> so yeah, it's probably good to just come back now after after we've seen everything and had a bit of time and separation from even some of the early episodes and just see as a whole season what um what worked and what didn't and what we're still waiting to get resolution on and like overall I liked the season. Yeah. Um like I'm still thinking that you know for the first and second season of Strange New Worlds pro- still definitely the first season is probably the strongest first season of a Star Trek series mm. we've ever seen. Yeah. Um, season two is still pretty good too, considering that it's only got 10 episodes. Yeah, yeah. I think I think last season I think was stronger, and I sort of mentioned it last week, sort of I feel like last season one was sort of generically good, except for that weird fairy tale episode. They're all great episodes, enjoyable you find a rewatch and that kind of thing. This episode, they swung a little bit wider, shot a little bit higher. So we had some real big successes, but I think there were more failures this season. Like I can think of maybe three or four episodes this season where I'm like, ugh, really? Um, as opposed to last season where there was only just the one where I'm like, ugh, really? <laughs> so, um, but the highs were higher. So it was a little more of a bipolar season this season, I guess you could say. Higher highs, but lower lows. When uh, Matty talks about the fairy tale episode, he means the Elysian Kingdom. Oh, people know what I'm talking about. <laughs> anyway, so, so tell pe- me, tell me, tell me the name of Mbenga's daughter without looking at any. Oh note. yeah, no, I exactly, can't. exactly. Is it Naya or something? Nope. How was it? I don't know either. But uh, I don't know. anyway, before we go any further, because. Just in the random chance that there's anyone listening to this that hasn't seen the second season, mm. you know, red alert, spoilers. We will be talking yeah. about spoilers for the entire season just in this uh, hour, hour and a half, two hours, whatever it ends up being. Who right? knows? So I'll try not to go too hard like I did with uh, Picard season three. <laughs> yeah, but Maddie, what, yeah, go back and listen to that. If you haven't listened to our uh, Picard season oh, three podcast. I went in. He went deep, like I went in. So, anyway, that that was a long episode. That one that we did mm. too. Wasn't, that was over two hours. Yeah, I had a lot of notes. Yeah, and it wasn't all bad. No, they just you know, listen. But you know, they 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 fucked up the the founders. <laughs> they fucked up the changelings. <laughs> anyway, so how do we want to crack this nut, Maddie? Like, what what do we uh, want to do? Let's just remind ourselves, I guess, of each episode. We'll go, we'll go through and just sort of quickly remind ourselves of of each episode, and, we'll, and we'll, then some. I've got a few little points here and there that now now I've had a little bit of separation and had some time to sort of see what they set up, what they what they resolved and what they didn't. We can actually then maybe it'll change the way we look at certain episodes yeah. in terms of, of how successful we thought they were. Okay, so the first episode of the season was called The Broken Circle. Now, yeah. this is currently sitting at a 7.6 on IMDb yeah. for its rating. Personally, I think this should have been the second episode of the season. Personally, I think we could have skipped it. You know what I mean? Like, I almost feel like you could have had had an extra long episode, cut out a lot of the fat in this, and it could have happened at the same time that the trial was going on. All right, so j- just I mean? to remind people what the episode was, uh, if anyone is forgetting, 
Uh, the synopsis reads, a distress call from Lieutenant Noonien Singh compels Spock to disobey orders and take the Enterprise and its crew into disputed space on a rescue mission. Yeah, so Pike's pretty much not in it because he's travelling to go and set up for next week's episode. Correct. Uh, we're introduced to Peliar. Spock steals the Enterprise. We go to that weird planet that's like a timeshare between the Federation and Klingons. Yep. Something about the Klingons trying to restart the war with a false flag thing. They've made their own Discovery-style ship for some reason, using spare parts. And this is where we learn know. about um, Protocol 12 as well. Yeah, we set up the Protocol. So, yeah, a lot of, a lot of setup stuff. Yeah. Um, but the episode as a whole, I think, is very forgettable. And something that actually really stood out to me when I was going back and, and remembering each of the episodes is when we're first introduced to Pelia and they talk about her being a Lanthanite, she says, and she like she knows Spock, whatever, because she says Amanda is the first person that Pelia ever came out to as a Lanthanite. Yes. And then remember like five episodes later when Amanda shows up on the Enterprise and Pelly is not even in that episode, I don't think. Oh, no. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So you'd think they have quite a if, – if, if Amanda is the very, very first person that Pelly ever told she was an alien, like the very first human she yeah. ever told that she was an alien, you think they have a pretty close relationship? You'd hope that she'd be there, yeah. Didn't that was even, in uh, episode five, Charades. Yeah. And which, again, I – Pelia was kind of very much like Hammer in that she was just in some episodes, she wasn't in others. I think she was um, underutilized. Yeah, yeah. It's, like it's, we definitely could have utilized her more and expanded on her character a lot more. Yeah, I think less less Kirk, uh, both of them. Yeah. Um, oh, actually, actually, I don't mind and, having Sam around. And more of the main cast and Pelia. Like you have the main cast and then Pelia, I forget the actress's name, it's escaped me right now. Carol Kane. That's it. She was always kind of like a guest starring or an and Carol Kane, mm-hmm. you know, kind of thing. Uh, like, I don't think her name is in the opening credits. They've kind of just added it in the in the end credits. With just a, she just gets her own little um, title card comes up, and Carol Kane. So she was never contracted for, like, all ten episodes. But I don't know. I feel like a chief engineer is a kind of important... Yeah. Like, isn't that one of the whole reasons that in Next Generation Season 1 they went, Oh, fuck, we don't have anyone in an engineer. I mean, they didn't have an engineering set at the time. No. And they're like, oh, we, we kind of need an engineer, don't we? And they went, well, and then that's when they changed Geordie to, to go and be the chief engineer. And then you didn't really miss the fact that there was always just like a random helmsman on the Enterprise. It didn't really matter. Well, considering that Wesley ended up piloting a lot of the time anyway. But I mean, he was gone by like, what, season four mm. or something like that. And was, there was always just, you had Row in for a few episodes. You had oh, We had O'Brien random. in there. <laughs> yeah, you know, there was just, and it didn't, you weren't really missing anything um, with that kind of thing. So it is weird that, yeah, like I feel like engineering is, a, is an important, like an engineer is an important part of a Star Trek show. So to just have these two seasons in a row now where you have an engineer who's not part of the main cast um, and only doing, you know, six out of every ten episodes, I think is a missed opportunity. Yeah, of course. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, th- this episode, though, it did allow us to bring um, La'an back into the regular crew as well because she, you know, quit Starfleet basically or went on an extended leave yeah, or whatever. Yeah, that really important element where, like, there was a little girl that she um, connected with in last season in episode nine and then I'm going to go find her a home and then got stuck there. And then remember how we never saw that little girl again yeah. after Broken Circle? Like we we didn't really get any any resolution to that in Broken Circle. Like we saw her on the planet and her parents, like they found her parents and stuff like that. And then there was just that moment where she just went, 
Oh, so I guess you're leaving now? And Lan's like, yep. Th- this episode, though, was a good episode for me because, like, now, obviously, seeing the rest of the season, it was the beginning of the actual setup for all of the Mbenga episodes. Yeah. We, that, but then and, was, and the chapel stuff as well. Yeah, which was weird because it wasn't really a... F- I mean, it didn't really focus on anyone in particular, but Lan was such a driving force behind this episode and then it didn't... And then by episode three, it's all about her and her trauma over falling in love with a guy she met. In a different timeline. For a day. Yeah, so in terms of her overall arc, it didn't really... No, it, it didn't It didn't bring anything for Lan's arc. And yeah. it, it brought more for Mbenga and Chapel's arc, really, mm. at the end of the day. Yeah. So, I don't know, have you got anything else that you want to say about that episode, Maddie? Not really. Like... it's It was, it was a bit skippable. Like, I, I wouldn't want to skip it. Uh, personally, because there was some really good stuff in there. And I think it is, it's not one of those episodes for me that I would skip from the season. And th- there's only really one that I would skip from the season, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> um, I think some people that are listening, that have listened to the rest of us, will probably know mm. um, which one that is. But, you know, that's okay. The next episode of the season is one of my favorite episodes, mm. actually, um, being. At Aspera Perspera. Yeah, which I think the majority of the Strange New Worlds fan, and we've all come kind of come to the consensus that this should have been the first episode yeah. back. Like it should have been, you could have found a way to trim a lot of the fat out of Broken Circle, put those elements into this episode as like a B-plot. Because there was just that weird B-plot in this one. I guess you could almost call it a B-plot of the thing where La'an thought that she was the reason... Una, that Una, Una was on trial. Yeah. And then, you know, there was the big twist that no, Una actually kind of turned herself in essentially. So the this episode reads, Commander Una Chin Riley faces court-martial, imprisonment and dishonorable discharge from Starfleet. Mm. So Really good episode. All the so courtroom good. stuff, fantastic <laughs> with the um, human rights stuff, the the allegorical nature of it all, of, of you can apply that to any sort of any group that's being held back because of they look different or act different or have different interests to the quote-unquote mainstream. I think, yeah, anyone who's ever felt othered can relate to this episode. And in and the future, because of this, um, Una becomes the poster girl for Starfleet recruitment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. Which Maddie and I have both got, a, uh, <laughs> got one of those posters now. I did, going back, I have two big issues with this episode. Yeah, okay, send them. Um, the one being, well, now that we know that Battelle is the captain of her own ship. Yes, so is why she... Why was she the lawyer the whole time? So is she a JAG prosecutor and a captain of a ship? Like, it was her job before she was like a command crew, was she a lawyer or was she just chosen to be a lawyer because she's a captain? Yeah, but and then it's like, well, if she had the Cayuga, was it just spinning its heels waiting while she was doing all this all this court stuff? It seems very silly to have if, if someone is so high up in the JAG sort of structure to recall them from deep space exploration and help to settle a court matter and bring the... It's just a waste of resources yeah. and time and, and allocation. Like, why so, isn't she, like, like obviously we know about, like, Starfleet security and stuff. Like, Starfleet's got its own JAG Corps. Like, yeah. why is she not, like, just posted to the JAG Corps? Yeah, so I don't know. Like, I'll have to maybe go back and, and watch maybe her introduction in the first season and things like that. Because obviously, like, 
we first meet her just having a booty call with very Mike first episode in um the pilot in Montana or wherever he's wherever he's at. Um, I don't know if she had a ship then at that point or was it because obviously there was that whole subplot of they didn't really mention if she had a ship then. Yeah, well, that's why I want to go back and watch and see if there's maybe a line we missed or something, but. The only other thing I can think of is because there was that weird subplot in Ad Astra about the Vulcan kind of manipulating her to do things that she she sort of felt unethical and stuff like that. And she, I think, mentioned something about being pressured because she wanted this promotion she was going for. Did she not get the promotion and then was she given the Cayuga after that? Because it's like, well, you're not going to progress any further in the JAG, so now you're just a, a bog-standard captain go and do ship stuff for us. Ooh, that's interesting. You know? like, and like to be given a constitution class though as well, like mm. that's that's like the best ships that they've got yeah, at that's the time pretty, too. Yeah, that's a pretty weird punishment. <laughs> yeah, like here, just go explore. Um, yeah. Have our best ship, whatever. Yeah, so I, I do want to maybe do a little more digging into the into the series and, and maybe rewatch, maybe even just do like a binge and rewatch both seasons back to back now um, and see where Battelle lands and all of that. Because the other issue I had is this episode creates a few issues with the, is it Shadows of Illyria? The episode from season one where uh, we find out that... Ghosts of Illyria. Ghosts of Illyria. Where we find out that uh, Una is an Illyrian. Mm -hmm. Then what we find out about this episode with like her upbringing and stuff like that, to me it doesn't all add up. So... Um, they say in this episode... No, I think they say it in, in what? Ghosts of Illyria. Yes. I just sort of looking at my notes here. Um, the Illyrians, like the, the, the I guess, the literal ghost that protected uh, Spock and Pike, when Spock's reading the log and stuff from them, it says they tried to renounce their genetic, genetic modifications to join the Federation. Mm-hmm. Not Starfleet, the Federation. Yep. So the Illyrians as a species were not allowed to join the Federation because of, because their, of their genetic because modifications. Of their modifications, which also then doubles up with, well, even members who aren't, like species who aren't members of the Federation, an individual can get special dispensation to, Correct. to join so Starfleet, Starfleet yep. like Nog does. But obviously an Illyrian wouldn't because... That supersedes the fact that if you're genetically engineered, you are forbidden to join Starfleet as well. So the problem that I had with all the backstory we have of Una now is if Illyrians were banned from the Federation, why were there Federation colonies in her homeworld slash home nebula enforcing their laws? Yeah. And why were Illyrians being persecuted on their own land? So we kind of had a bit of a... Uh, a confusion, some disagreement on like, remember when Pike goes to the planet to go and get, is it Nira? Yep. In this episode. And he can't breathe on that planet because it's... Because of the lower oxygen. Because of the lower content. oxygen. Yeah. So, like, so that is with, I did a little bit of research, that is within, I forget the name of it, it's within the nebula, which is like a, a three or four light year large nebula with many planets in it. That particular planet that Pike went to wasn't the planet that Una was born on, but she was born inside that nebula. But the nebula itself, when you hear Pike's sort of um, captain's log, says inside the entire nebula, it's only like 2% oxygen and it's mostly... So 
humans can't really exist inside that nebula at all, no, no matter what planet it's on. So why is the Federation, which is predominantly humans, setting up colonies in places they can't exist in with a, a civilization that they're shunning for being genetically modified? Yeah. You know what I mean? So I want, I want a little more um, backstory to that because at the moment it's not making sense. Um, why are the Federation enforcing their laws in some way they don't belong and people they're not interested in? Yeah, that, that's, that's very cool. that's very not the Federation. Just yeah, is I oh, correct me if I'm wrong though, but is this your favorite episode of the season? It is. Yeah, it's up there. Yeah, it's it's. I really really love it. All the all the it's because of the moral like consequences yeah, I, and all that sort of stuff. I, I fap over that shit. That's like all that all that civil rights stuff. That's my favorite. The stuff that makes you think. Mm. And this episode. It did that right thing where it just presented the facts and it gives you both sides of the story and it's like, well, yeah, you kind of understand the Federation for banning genetic modification because of their history, so you understand why, but then it also comes with the fact that it's like, well, that had nothing to do with the Illyrians. Why are you, why are you banning these people for your own fuck-ups? Um, and I really hope that people, people can see the allegory in that and help release some of their own bigotry about certain groups or whatever it may be. Uh, I got into a very long discussion in my DMs with someone who didn't appreciate me bringing up the the um, comparison between this episode and the current drag bands that are trying to happen in the US <laughs> at the moment and couldn't see the connection between them. So, um, yeah, like I, I love these kinds of episodes that really make you think and, and that you can apply to your everyday life. So We generally like those conversations with people in our DMs. Yeah, though, yeah, because no, if, if we can, like, whether I agree with Maddie or Maddie agrees with me or we disagree or with our listeners and stuff like that, like, it's always good to have these conversations with people because, like, even, like, a conversation I might have with Maddie might enhance his understanding or vice versa on a subject. Yes. Because I'm not an expert on every subject. He's not an expert on that. Yeah, and I think anyone who is trying to restrict the freedoms of any particular group because you don't agree with what they're doing, that comes from a place from a lack of understanding and you you don't know enough about it. I'll use my own um, experience. Like here in Australia, like so I'm a firearms owner here in Australia and we are always constantly under attack by the government and people that don't understand about firearms. And, you know, they think that we're all yahoos and, you know, Things like them, we're murderers and stuff. We're not the ones creating problems. Mm. Like, and I l- actually like to be able to explain that to people who are so much against gun owners. Like, it, it's very and yeah, so many other subjects that people are against. Yeah, like, Whereas, yeah, and for that particular thing, it's like I come from the opposite side of things where I've never even handled a gun. So it's like I actually don't mind that you have to jump through forty different hoops for gun ownership because it's like. You look at the stats and it's like, well, ever since Port Arthur Massacre where everything really came down hard, we've had almost zero gun violence since that point compared to the rest of the world. So it's like, for me as someone who's outside of it and doesn't know the day-to-day minutiae, I'm like, well, it's obviously working. So it's like, you know what? That's fine. If you guys want to own something like that um, and you have to jump through hoops, sure. I I mean, I had to jump through 40,000 hoops to get um, I collect knives and, and axes and, and bladed weapons and stuff like that. 
uh, I had to jump through hoops to get uh, this one uh, throwing axe that I wanted imported. I don't throw it. I just think it looks pretty. It <laughs> would look nice hung on my wall. Um, so I get it. I'm like, it, they're, they're weapons. They need to be regulated. I don't care. But I'm, I'm coming from a place... And we're not turning this into like a Second Amendment type of argument because Australia and America totally different. Totally different. Totally different. But we also prove that it works. So (laughs) different countries, different rules, and yeah, yeah, we'll we'll leave it on that. uh, But overall, different educational system. (laughs) Ad astra perispera to the stars through difficulty. That means excellent episode. I really liked it. Yeah. Um, It brought a lot to Una's character. Absolutely. Um, it had throwbacks to the first season. It had throwbacks to short treks in it mm. as well, where Spock first met her. And yeah. you know, we spoke about the Gilbert and Sullivan thing. Yeah. I thought that was all really well done. And I think in 20 years time, it will be seen as one of those iconic episodes. Yeah. The way like people look at um, the light in next generation, not a personal favorite of the mine. inner light, inner light, sorry. Um, the way a lot of people fawn over that episode, I don't have a particular connection to it. Like, I don't think it's yeah, a brilliant episode. You know, I, brilliantly written. I didn't and acted. really connect to it a lot, but I think in the same way the majority of the fandom views an episode like that, that is how Ad Astra, uh, sort of Ad Astra uh, Perispera will be viewed. Like, yeah, I, I think, think it is. Is it, a, is it a timeless, iconic episode of Star Trek? Abs- like, in this season. There is probably two episodes which will be spoken about for years and years and years to come. But we'll get to that second one later. All right, have you got anything else you want to say about this episode, Uh, Matty? No, and and like I'm saying, like I was, I'm harsh on the the science and the Illyrian Nebula and stuff because I care about this episode so much. And Una, I'm pretty sure is my favorite character of of Strange New World. So I want, I want her stuff to make sense. So that's why I want more. Give me more. I'm. I'm greedy. Give me mm. more. You know, give me more. More. I want, I want more of this. I want it all, all to make more sense. I actually think overall through the season, though, Una was a little bit underutilized. Yeah, I would. I would. I would agree. Like being the first officer of the ship. Mm. Like when you compare her to say, um, Riker. Like how much he got with screen time and yeah. like episodes and things like. She hasn't really got as much. Well, and something that I forgot because I went back and watched Ghosts of Illyria. She's also got super strength. There's that there's that moment where she just picks up Hammer and throws her throws him over her mm. shoulder, and just casually walks him to sickbay. Yeah. And then Chapel's like, "How the fuck did you do that?" Yeah, she just hides it, doesn't she? Um, <laughs> so it's like there's little moments and stuff like that where you go, "Well, she could be a little like you don't want her to you don't want her to be." Perfect, and then people start calling her Mary Sue and all that kind of bullshit. But it's like, yeah, she's she's got more that she could be doing. Um, but again, I could say the same of Spock for this season. Oh, yeah. Spock, Spock, Spock's got super strength, doesn't he, compared yeah, to humans? he was underutilized this season in terms of him being the science officer. Um, he was very much a dereliction of duty this season. <laughs> okay, so the next episode, this one's a little bit controversial. Season two, episode three, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Mm. Um, La'an travels back in time to the 21st century Earth to prevent an attack which will alter humanity's future history. I think this should have been Paul Wesley's only episode this season. Yes, I'll, I'll agree with that, totally. I think, and again, it's still very soon because he was back in episode 10 of last season was his first episode. Mm-hmm. That was a different alternate timeline, yeah. Kirk, compared to this one. So I, it was a weird choice to a do that again, but with Laan, mm-hmm. um, but then also b it to basically be Laan's 
main thing for the rest of the season. Yeah, like um, at the end of the day, it really means nothing for her character. Like for the character, it it gives her a little bit of a little bit of depth, and we learn more about um, like Khan. But the history that we know of Khan was different in this episode, yeah, so it hasn't. It didn't really have I meaning think, for overall of the series. I think this was their first time where they got too close to canon and started muddying stuff. There They're was like, that, oh, what do we do now? There was that whole thing where the the Romulan chick at the end be, was being like, "This was supposed to happen thirty years ago." Something blah blah blah. I'm hoping we get a little more resolution to that. Maybe next season, that's maybe a little thread they wanted to leave mm. and and move forward. Um, like it, basically there are certain things that are meant to happen that will happen even if they are pushed back 10, 20, 30 years. Yeah. Somehow. So I, I just, the timeline will always correct itself and keep itself flowing on the same yeah, path it was going to. In, in Ghosts of Valyria last season, um, La'an also says, and I forgot, actually I went back and watched some bits. They're all referring to her as just Lieutenant Noonien. Oh, really? Yeah, for those first couple of episodes. <laughs> I was still trying to figure it all out. But she said that because she was bullied as a child for having the last name Noonien Singh, she went back and, and basically made herself an expert on Khan. So, I would have just changed my bloody name if I yeah, was her. <laughs> but it's also like, well, if she made herself an expert on Khan, she would have known that he was like basically took over a third of the world over between like 92 and 96 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so then is that the history she knows? And then when she traveled to the past and the, the, the Romulan was like, it's 30 years too yeah, late. It, this is different history. Yeah. But is that the history La'an knew? Like she didn't seem to bump into the fact that she was 30 years too late and it was still happening. Like we haven't, we haven't talked it through. Like, it gets to the end of the episode and the temporal investigator chick is like, hey, you're not allowed to talk about this with anybody. If La'an was established last season as an expert on Khan, why didn't she say, why didn't they have the conversation about why is this 30 years too late? So did La'an learn the history of Khan doing his stuff in the 90s or did La'an, La'an learn the history of stuff happening in like the 2020s and the 2030s, I guess the 2030s by that point because... Khan was a kid in 2022. Yeah, I, I think she knew the history from like 1996. But then when you look back at like season two of Picard, like there was the Khan project as well, wasn't yes. there? And, and that was set in like 2021 or 2022. And what else was set in 2022 in Picard season two? You had Talon. Yeah. A Romulan watcher who can detect changes in the timeline in fucking LA or wherever she was. Yep. So how was this other Romulan woman here for 30 years and Talon knew nothing about it? Yeah, so is it like an alternate alternate timeline? Yeah. yeah, it's just But it's also like, well, obviously the Picard people weren't talking to the Strange New Worlds people. And this is why you need like a Kevin Feige type guy to be like, well, no, you can't do that because this other show is doing this kind of thing. They need a Maddie and Craig. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so there was just a lot of... Imagine um, that. Like our whole job is to be the Kevin Feige of oh. the Star Trek universe. And we'll do Stargate while we're at it. We'll do both. And we just... Our whole job is we have to watch Star Trek and Stargate all day, yeah. every day 
to keep these writers and, and just, directors on track. So going, no, you can't do that. And that would be amazing. Writer just be like, hey, so I want to... Nope, can't do it. They'd, they'd have another writer strike, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> They're like, fuck you guys. Yeah. You guys are done. Yeah. Um, the other issue I have with just La'an as a whole, about this being her whole character arc, is she fell in love with a guy she knew for two days. She didn't sleep with him. Didn't she kissed him once him. two minutes before he died. Basically because he didn't know her last name. She has this chip on her shoulder about her last name. You said it before, just change your fucking last mm. name. He's from a different timeline where you don't exist. So, of course, he's not going to know your name. So, the only reason she's attracted... Well, I mean, she was attracted to him before she realised that he didn't know who she was. Because, like, she was checking... Oh, yeah. She was checking him out when he was getting changed. And then there was that weird, creepy thing where she came out and looked at him while he was sleeping. Yeah, she's a creeper. And then it wasn't until the next day after the bridge blew up when they were in the car, like, after they stole that red Camaro, whatever it was, that... They had that moment where they were talking about dodge. names. <laughs> Whatever, same thing. Maddie's not a car guy. <laughs> um, yeah, so I just, I don't understand La'an's thing about it all. And, and it's like, well, just change your name when you were younger. Like, yeah. Like, sh- she's got a, like, so she's not only got the trauma of being Khan's descendant. Yeah. She's got the trauma of being a Gorn survivor from when she's a kid. Yeah. Like, her whole character is trauma. Yeah, and... Like, she's got to get... O- like, she's got to get over the trauma. Yeah, like, she, and the whole epi- like the whole season, like, the musical episode, and other, she's talked about how she, like, keeps herself away from people, but it's like, well, she was already falling for Kirk before she knew that he didn't know who she was. So she can clearly open herself up to people mm. uh, before that. And then it's like, well, I feel like her and Una's relationship hasn't really been explored any further as much as it was last season. Um, well, I'd like her as a character. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. She's, she's a great actress. Um, some really interesting episodes. I just feel like... She can sing too. Who knew? Maybe the Gorn stuff could have been enough. Maybe she didn't have to be a Noonie and sing... Or maybe she didn't have to have the last name Noonien Singh and it's something we discover about her character later on or in that episode and she was going by a different name. Because, again, in last, in the episode before this, you've got Una being barred from Starfleet because her species in general have genetic manipulations, which Starfleet don't like because that one genetically manipulated guy named Khan took over half the world, but then they're going to let one of Khan's great-great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren who still bears his last name join Starfleet and work on the bridge of the Enterprise? Yeah, so, like, it is, like, does she still have, does she have genetic modifications or have they, you know, been diluted over the, the years? Yeah, or, or was she like a, like a, a like a, a nephew or something of, like, Khan's, like, uh, Khan's, well, no, like, because, because or was she a direct descendant, like a tomorrow blood? And, in Tomorrow and Tomorrow yeah. and Tomorrow, she says she's a direct descendant because she has that genetic marker that allows yeah, I her suppose, to open yeah, up all, that's those, true. all those things. So, so has it, you know, diluted enough that she is allowed to be in Starfleet or is, yeah, I don't know. But yeah, give us, like, so what, Khan had a child at some point. 
Who would have I'm been picking her? he probably had quite a few concubines. Yeah. Um, but it's like, okay, did he, was it just a normal human or was it one of his group that were on the botany bat? Like what, give us these answers, especially when you're dealing with the whole Una thing. Those two things are directly correlated. The reason Una was forbidden to join Starfleet is because of La'an's great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather and it's not been addressed. And it bugs me because they're they're so tightly woven, these two things. And And they're very close characters too. Una's the one being, well, was the one being prosecuted for it and La'an is not. I mean, she talks about having a rough childhood being being, um, bullied She's never once been bullied on the on the Enterprise. No one's ever questioned her loyalty or questioned anything about her based on her last name. No one even blinks twice at it. Like it makes you know? me wonder. Like there's obviously some people out there that are, um, like in our real world that are relatives of like Adolf Hitler. Yeah. Like and it, like they're pro- I don't know. Like they've probably changed their names over in Germany or wherever they're living Surely. now. Like and like, how do they go about life? Like, yeah. are they There's, suffering um, the trauma? Oh god, what's that fantastic show? Um, Stargate with SG One. Shut up. Um, <laughs> you know, you like New Girl, right? Yeah. You remember how there was that original black guy on New Girl, and he left and had to go Coach? and do that other show. Yeah, he had to go and do Happy Endings. Happy yeah. Endings. Oh my god, it's the best fucking show. It's really I've it's never watched so that. So fucking hilarious. Um, and yeah, one, Penny goes on a date with a guy named Doug Hitler. And so she's like trying to get over it So she's like literally she's like Writing Mrs. Penny Hitler on all these um, She's like can she get If she married this guy could she deal with her last name being Hitler So um, yeah, And obviously that's what this episode Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow was about It's like what's that age old sort of morality Idea that yeah if time existed Everyone says Well the first thing you would do is go back and kill baby Hitler You know even Um uh, uh, Rhodey in the MCU is like, well, you just go back, go and back and kill baby Thanos. Yeah, baby Thanos, you know what I mean. <laughs> so it was it was an interesting morality play, but this whole obsession she has with Kirk now is <laughs> is weird. Just while I think about it, was that Rhodey that actually said that though, or was that a scroll? Oh, spoilers! <laughs> I don't carry the word. <laughs> All right. So, um, have you got any more that you want to say about that episode, Barry? Yeah, I just keep. Yeah, I don't know it. I liked the episode and it was interesting to see um, like, and it does happen quite often in Star Trek where they come back in time and they're in our current time and mm. they do things. I, I liked the episode overall. Um, yeah. I just don't like what it's done since. Did it add anything to the overall story? Like the only thing that it's really added to like Laan's character is her constant pining for Kirk. Yeah. And it's like, she was attracted to him. And he was a different dude, really, at the yeah, end of the day. But it just the the logic isn't there to me. I know you know emotions aren't aren't logical, Correct. especially when it comes to romantic feelings. But it's like she started feeling stuff for him. She found him attractive before she knew that he didn't know who she was. So mm-hmm. she's capable of doing that. Yeah, absolutely. But it, then it wasn't until she found out that he didn't know what a Noonian Singh was that she really started falling for him. And then he got ki- like kissed, and he got killed. So now she's had transference and she's transferred these feelings onto our universe's Kirk, who, based on what she's saying, she should be able to cut those things because he knows what a Noonian Singh is. 
And that's why she would have protected herself from him in the first place. And then he has to be, she finally, after an entire season goes, Hey, I like you. And he's like, cool. I've got a baby on the way. Um, so sorry. Um, I guess she just has to move on to Sam Kirk. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, that could be it. Cause maybe, maybe she changes her name to be with Sam. And then she ends up getting killed with Sam on that planet from the episode where you first find out about Sam Kirk in the original. Series. So she becomes La'an Kirk. Um, no, um, Sam's wife had a different name. Yeah. I don't remember what it was. And Aneth, 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 Aneth. Maybe she just completely Urethra changes. Urethra or something. Yeah. I don't Urethra? Know. Um, <laughs> I just, yeah, I, I don't, I can't track her her mental state right now in terms of what she's thinking. She's a little bit why. all over the shop. Like yeah. she's very sort of, like she presents herself as quite a cold, emotionless type of a person, mm. but below the surface, she is one of the most emotional people. Yeah, and like I said, she was she was quite happy to be attracted to Kirk before she knew that he didn't know who she was. So it's like, why can't she just apply that to her everyday life? Mm. I feel like the trauma they're dealing with, especially with this season with Laan and Uhura, it doesn't make sense to me. Um. Episode to episode, and again, I don't, I don't think the writers are talking to each other and planning out arcs, like emotional arcs for the whole season. Oh no! Um, so the, I'm, I'm getting a bit of whiplash with Ahura and Laan trying to figure out where their emotional state is in any given episode. Mm. And, and as a, as a viewer, I shouldn't have to be doing that. But yeah, like this for me is sort of like one of those mid-range sort of episodes of the season. Like it's not the worst, um, not the best. Sort of somewhere sits around the middle for me. Yeah, I think if it was just a standalone and it was... Um, it didn't have any future consequences. Yeah, yeah. I think if Laan just kind of was sad and then maybe didn't even call Kirk at the end, just looked up his personnel file and maybe instead of crying, felt relief that Kirk got born and had a better life on Earth than the horrible life mm. that her Kirk had. And maybe she took something from that and went, well, you know what? I'm going to stop feeling like a piece of shit about my upbringing and I'm just going to move forward. This and is 8.3 though on IMDb. So yeah. it's one of the top rated episodes. Yeah, a I lot just, of people liked it. I just think it should have been Paul Wesley's only episode this season. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I don't think totally it needed agree. to be in any other episode this season aside from that. Okay, the next episode, uh, season two, episode four, was Among the Lotus Eaters. So returning to a planet that dredges up tragic memories, Captain Pike and his landing party find themselves forgetting everything, including their own identities, as he confronts a ghost from his past. Do do they not see the fault in in that to begin with? In that as a concept? Of, I think this is probably the weakest episode of the season for me in that it's the most forgettable, ironically, because it's about... Yeah, I, I'd say for me, it's probably my second lowest episode of yeah. the season. Um, I just find it very forgettable, ironically. And then, like what you just read out there, it's like Pike's history, uh, ter- a rough history is dredged up but then it doesn't matter because he doesn't remember anything for the majority of the episode. So we don't actually deal with any of the feelings that he's feeling. Yeah, that's true. So it's like, oh, painful memories from the past. No memories for most of the episode. It was forgettable for me. So yeah, like what we're referring to there is the the yeoman that uh, got left in a previous mission. Mm. Um, Yeah, and then he ends up becoming king basically. Yeah, then weird, oh, we've got, 
magical helmets with ore in them. That stops us from forgetting, but everybody forgets. And but then we tow that uh, asteroid off the planet later on anyway, so people can still remember who they are. Yeah. It, like, it's just forgettable. And all I really remember It about wasn't it, a bad episode. It wasn't bad, like in, in my opinion anyway. It, like, as you said, yet forgettable. It is... Does it add anything to the season overall? No, you could skip this episode yeah. and it would make no difference to the Which story. It's unfortunate because the whole reason it exists is because of a log entry that the original Captain Pike made in the original series in the original pilot that got... Yep, in the cage. Yeah, they got cancelled. So they were trying to expand on his backstory... But I think it just it failed for me. It just it's like it fell it's, a little flat. It's not bad. It's just forgettable. It's just I just remember, just they were all just standing in a big open ice field, and that was it. You know what I mean? They were just standing in front of the big ice video screen. That's all I kind of remember. Costumes about are cool it, though. Know? Oh yeah. Oh, and obviously this is where like um, Battelle gives him his little medallion that obviously pays off. Yeah, in this last um, episode. Yeah. Later. yeah, it almost would have been better that. She gave it to him in this episode. It didn't have anything to do with this episode, and then the payoff is him holding it later in uh, in later in the season. You go, oh yeah, okay, all right, we're building here. All right, the next episode. Uh, do you want to say anything more about that one, Matty? No, it's no. forgettable. The, the the next episode is basically Spock and Mock two point um, being season two episode five charades. So a shuttle accident leads to Spock's Vulcan DNA being removed by aliens, making him fully human and completely unprepared to face T'Pring's family during an important ceremonial dinner. I like it. It was fun, this episode. This was fun. I think it probably should have been a season three episode, given that we got Spock and Mock last season. Mm-hmm. And when we're only doing 10 episode seasons, I think it was too and soon. Spock and Mock was the fifth episode as really? well. Yeah. Interesting. Um. And then the other issue I have is that if this is episode five, then what well, we had six, seven, eight, and nine of Spock and Chapel exploring their relationship, and by episode ten they were broken up. And so it's like I don't think we need. And obviously, in, in um, those old scientists, we have creepy smiley Spock and stuff like that. <laughs> and it's like I don't think you need that much smiley Spock in one season. Mm -hmm. Like if you have Spock Amok in that season, if you have charades in this season, you don't need those old scientists in this season either. You know what I mean? Just like, just have those, the one random episode where Spock is acting wonky. um, And then the rest of the time have him, the status quo being a good science officer and, and sciencing shit. He just, I think, yeah, from this point to the end of the season, he kind of is just all over the place. And, and I, I can't, I can't follow him as a character and what he's doing. And, and I, and I don't understand in the same way I was saying with La'an and Uhura, I, I don't know where their trauma state is. I, I don't, I can't track where Spock is in his playing with emotions. Like he got given his loot, in episode one by Mbenga. And I'm like, that's a big thing. Spock's Vulcan yeah. loot is kind of iconic. We had that one little joke thing in episode three where there was a voice, uh, a noise complaint that Lan had to investigate. And he's like, I will endeavor to... And that's it. And it's like the whole point of the Vulcan loot was it was a way for him to quieten his emotions mm-hmm. because he, he, was, he was having physical reactions when Chapel walked into the room based on what he did last season in the, in the Gorn episode. So, yeah, just it's a bit all over the place for me. Yeah, I, I feel like 
the writer's room as a whole went, this is what we're going to do with Spock this season. It was almost Ooh. like there was there was 10 writers, went out and wrote 10 individual episodes and all added a little piece of that element into their episode. So it was kind of just the same thing over and over and over again with no continuity running through it. So he was, yeah, he was all over the place this season. All right, and that was a 8.3 episode as well. So that was one of the top rated episodes of the season. According yeah, to I, I think... Spock and Mock was maybe a better episode of the two. It was very much a rehash of the same thing. Uh, It was nice. The Amanda stuff was nice. It was nice to see Amanda. Um, But again, we wasted the whole Pelia knowing Amanda coming out to Amanda thing like Mm -hmm. that. Yep. That was ignored. Um, Yeah. Anyway, next episode was Season 2, Episode 6, Lost in Translation. Uhura seems to be the only one who can hear a strange sound that seems to be trig- uh, seems to trigger terrifying hallucinations. A little bit of a horror episode, and we got to see like uh, flashbacks and a bit of uh, in Uhura's brain stuff of Hema. Can you like just, zombie hammer. Can you just read back the first seven words? Ahura seems to be the only one who can hear a strange... Seven. Not one, two, a... three, four, five, six. Ahura seems to be the only one. Yeah. I feel like that's <laughs> that's basically the arc of her for this season. She does everything. She's like... She's doing Spock's job. She's doing Pelia's job. She's doing her job. She's dealing with all her trauma. Like, they are just... Like they piled a lot onto they her. They piled a lot onto her this season. And look, I've been very vocal in my criticisms of we need more um, Ortegas. Obviously, Melissa Navia's had her own personal traumas uh, between the seasons and they've, and they've lightened her workload. I was going to say, do you think that's a lot to do with it? That's what I'm wondering. I'm wondering if maybe some of the things that Melissa was going to be doing in this season, they've had to go, oh, and she's just gone, look, I can't. I can't handle that. I don't, I'm talking out of school here. I don't know. Well, anytime I've like, so I saw a couple of weeks back on the Will Wheaton's um, show, the where ready they, room, the ready room where they spoke to Melissa Navia and she did talk a little bit about where her partner died and all that sort of stuff. And mm. you could see that it was still like wrecking her. Hey. Yeah. And I can't remember whether it was that. Cause I remember you sending me the video to that. And I mean, I didn't watch the whole ready room. I just watched them. Listen, yeah, of course. Bit. I watched that and then like her open letter to the fans and stuff like that as well. And it was in one of those two things she spoke about, you know, just being in the middle of a take, like they would do their bit and in between takes, she would just have to go leave the room, have a cry, Mm. come back, which I totally get. I'm dealing with my own sort of grief and trauma. Um, So I would, nothing's officially been stated. So I would understand if they did lighten her load, um, so that she could sort of still be there in a capacity and just not have to anchor an entire episode and have all that weight put on her mm-hmm. shoulders. Um, so perhaps that is why maybe some of the things that were originally intended for um, Ortegas were maybe given to someone like um, Uhura. Uhura. And that's why Uhura just seemed to be the magical fix. Like Spock wasn't doing his job properly, so she was doing it. She was doing all her stuff. And then she's dealing with her own in-story trauma, still dealing with her family and Hema. But again, that was all very backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards in terms of her dealing with it. And and I feel like she'd kind of dealt with it last season, but it came back this season and it, it was, it was a lot. Um, I didn't like, uh, Oh, I'm just sort of 
Uh, oh, and it's it's another uh, Uhura needs to learn how to communicate episode as well. This episode, yeah, the communications officer doesn't know how to communicate with people. Yeah, but then it's also like, was it episode two or episode three? No, it must be episode two last season where she has to learn to communicate with those people through song. Um, and hum, she has to hum at the big crystal to be able to talk. Like it was just another version of that. Like she had to learn how to communicate with the people in in um like the creatures that were the nebula. Um, to save the nebula, though, she blows up all the ships inside the nebula, which absolutely would have killed the things inside the nebula. Mm-hmm. Um, that horrible fucking bar scene I will never forgive about her sitting down next to Kirk, him introducing himself, and she's being like, don't hit on me. Yeah, and he really wasn't. Ew, so fucking gross. Um, and then the whole thing I spoke about, I think it was maybe last week, um shoehorning in the canon of Kirk saying offhand once in the original series, oh, I met Pike once when he was fleet captain. So they made Pike fleet captain for this episode. But he was only the fleet captain of his ship and Kirk's ship, who was the first officer, which we never saw. I don't think we've actually physically seen the Farragut on screen. I don't think we even know what kind of vessel it is. I don't know what class it is, no. Um, Kirk had no... There was no point having Kirk in this episode. This It should have been Ahura and Spock. Yeah. She went to Spock. Spock didn't believe her because he was having his stuff with Chapel. So then she bumps into Kirk in the... in the After she rebuffs his apparent advances, um, she beats him up in the hallway, which was kind of funny. Um, and then he's like, it looks like you're seeing things. She's like, oh my God, he's the only one who believes me. Oh my God. And then they go and solve everything together. And I'm just like... Why are we, why are we subbing in guest stars when do, we've got when we've got this whole crew? We're only like fifteen episodes in at this point. We need to get to know these people. Why why couldn't Ortegas have helped her? Why couldn't Spock have helped her? Like even Sam Kirk could have helped her. Sam Kirk could have fucking helped her. Like why fucking limit Paul Wesley to one episode a season? It's too much. It'd be the same thing. Like we spoke about it in. Um, at Astra, we want to see Nira again. She was really, really interesting. Imagine if she was in fucking three episodes this season. We'd be like, oh my God, too much. Yeah. I'm quite happy to not see Nira to maybe season three, or maybe even season four. Yeah, season four, I reckon, would be another yeah, good when one. When it's that good, when it's that good, it's like, it's like, um, it's like 70% bit of chocolate. You just need a little bit. A little bit goes a long way. Mm. Um with Kirk, they're just oversaturating us with with um, James Kirk. I don't. I almost think not just James Kirk. They're oversaturating us with other characters from the original series yeah. now as well. But yeah. we'll talk more about if that. I, soon. If, yeah, if I want to see um, an original series characters doing stuff in the Enterprise, we'll go watch I'll, the original we'll series, series or the movies. Yeah. Have you got anything more to say about that one, Maddie? Because um, I really don't. Yeah. Like, like t- for me, like it was an okay episode. You know. It's not a bad episode, but it's just a middle of the run regular yeah. episode for every, me. Every episode I think has really good moments in it. Like for me, this episode, the really great moment was all the Pelia and Una stuff. You know, where they're being catty towards each oh, other yeah. and, and we find out, you See know See that, that height difference between the two. Yeah, like <laughs> Una having a go at of having crumbs on her on her uniform. She's like, You haven't even eaten. Um, and finding out that, you know, it's because she got a chip on her shoulder because cause Pelia gave her a bad grade at the academy and stuff like that. All that stuff was great, but it's like the actual main a plot of the of this of the sh- of the episode. 
Meh. Actually, I want to go back and mention one thing from uh, Charades last episode mm. that we were talking about where Spock is, like, getting shitty at Kirk, uh, Sam Kirk, because of the uh, crumbs on the table. That was so weird. <laughs> I thought it was, was hilarious. So weird to me. I will end you. <laughs> so weird. All right, anyway, moving on to uh, episode seven, Those Old Scientists. Now, this was probably the most anticipated episode of the entire season for majority of the fandom out there, including myself. Mm, you like, were weeks out. You were like counting down like five weeks to go. As soon Four as we found go, out that there was go. an episode called Those Old Scientists and it was going to be a crossover with Lower Decks, I was mm. like, "This, I'm going to love seeing this on-screen live action. Mm. Like two... I really like Boimler and Mariner as characters, and I th- I thought this was brilliant. I am not a huge fan of Lower Decks. I can watch it. It's. I think you went into this episode like a bit more um, reserved. Yeah, I guess because like I just I don't have that instant love for the Lower Decks characters yet. So I'm like, oh, I I don't know. I don't know how they're gonna because I find Mariner extremely unlikable <laughs> just so unlikable um so i was i wasn't looking forward to this i was just like uh, I she's like not very starfleet but she is starfleet at the same time oh, i don't think she's starfleet at all uh i don't think she belongs there i don't think she would ever have passed the psych test to actually get um, <laughs> well, both her parents are so her mum's a captain and her dad's an admiral fucking so. nepo babies i swear to god <laughs> um but it was they fun. Nailed it. Yeah. This was, and I hate using this word. This was a perfect episode. Yep. I can't, I can't critique anything and say they could have done this better or they could have done that better. As someone who's not a huge lower decks fan, I really, really enjoyed this episode. This um, Mariner, I love. Live action Mariner, give me, give me more. I'm gre- I want more of that. She is funny and likable and endearing. Her animated counterpart, out an airlock. <laughs> See you later. What so, about Boimler? Boimler, I'm kind of ambivalent about. I think he he was I, he's enjoyable in both forms. He kind of he makes it, he's that guy. He just he's Starfleet to me. He wants to be Starfleet so bad. He has that imposter syndrome where. He's in Starfleet. He's there. He's he's worthy of being there, but he just he wants to be Riker. He wants to be Picard. He wants to be He wants to be memorable for yeah, Starfleet. Yeah, so he wants to he wants to feel he's like a fan. he's Yeah, he wants to feel like he's in the club. He feels like Starfleet is a secret club that he wants to be a part of and he just needs to realize that he's already part of the club. He's a Starfleet officer. He's in. He's enough. If he was alive now, he'd be doing this podcast with us. <laughs> um, I feel like Mariner very much gaslights him a lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, having said that, like, I've seen every episode multiple times. Like, it's not like I hate Lower Decks and can't watch it. I just... I'm not connected to it yet. I don't like... I understand that the ship... I Like, I criticise the ship a lot. I think the Cerritos is a very, very ugly ship. But everyone claps back at me and it's like, I understand that it's supposed to be an ugly ship. That's the joke. I get it. I don't find that joke funny. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, 
honest... It's just like the cheap ship, but, you know, with the cheap crew. <laughs> but here's the thing, is the show is called Lower Decks. Like, I rewatched the the first episode the other day, and Mariner's just like, oh, anything, like, uh, above, like, here doesn't matter. But the problem is... is they both work on the bridge. <laughs> they both work on the bridge, and the design of the ship means engineering is in that little pod between the nacelles. That's below where they are, yeah. and that's really important. That's where the that's where the chief engineer like the the design of the ship doesn't tie in with the joke entirely. Yeah, um, you know what I mean. I think episodes like Next Generation Lower Decks, episodes like Voyages, Good Shepherd, do those in quote unquote insignificant characters better. Um, I would very much like to see. Um, uh, we spoke about it, I think, during the episode, maybe. Um, uh, you going and watching maybe some Rick and Morty and stuff mm. like that and seeing if you can see the the correlation between the two. So it's a little it's a little juvenile for me, um, but I, I don't mind it. But I loved, loved Boimler and Mariner in live action. I'd I think. L- loved their uniforms too. They look I, really good. I want to bring that white liner. I don't like the uniform... I mean, it looked better in live action than it does on the show. I hate it on the show. It's so ugly, which again is part of the joke, um, especially when you've got Riker, you know, flying around on the Titan in the cool in the first contact style first uniform. contact uniforms. Um, so it was nice seeing Boimler in that in what was it season two, or whatever it was. Um, but they looked better in live action than they have ever done on the show. But they still, yeah, the the shoulders were a little low. They needed to raise up that that white line a little yeah, bit higher. Yeah, it, it needed to come up maybe an inch and a half, two inches. Just, yeah, little, little things like that. And other than that, it was great. Um, yeah, I love me some Mariner. I would actually, now I'm kind of going, oh, geez, I wish they'd actually brought Tendi and um, uh, what's the engineer guy's name? Rutherford. Rutherford, yep. Yeah, I'm like, I kind of wish they'd come as well now. Like, Apparently, um, some of the cast of Strange New Worlds have expressed a desire to... To a crossover into Lower Decks as well. That would be great because I've been saying ever since this was announced. Actually, no, ever since I think Strange New World, because Strange New Worlds came after Lower Decks, right? It was announced. Mm-hmm. Once it got in my head that I realized that the first officer from Lower Decks and the first officer from Strange New Worlds are two actors that are married in real life, I'm like, that's the crossover I want to see. So I would love to see some kind of like fourth wall breaking kind of stuff. But there was so, that cool joke at the end of this yes, episode as well. Yes. Yeah, so in the animated portion. I would love to see um, uh, Una and Ransom uh, interact. Una would just, she would hate Ransom. Yeah. I also want, Low, and this is I guess a side note for Lowdex, but I really want Lowdex to acknowledge the fact that Ransom is the son of Captain Ransom from the Equinox. Ooh. Rudy. Is he? I don't know. I think he should be. You got a white guy whose last name is Ransom. He'd be old enough. He'd be the right age. Damn. Like, I'd never even thought of that really? until then. Yeah, I hadn't. Like, My first thought is like, why would they call him Ransom? And I watched the Equinox episode maybe three, four weeks ago now. Yeah. Like, that's that's a good... So, if you look, say... So, say Equinox is set, what, 10 years before Lower Decks? And Captain Ransom was what? 50 yeah, easily, yeah. So he'd be, say, 60 now. It's not out of the realm of possibility for him to have a 30, 35-year-old son. Yeah, like a, a kid from yeah, a few what's, years before he went missing. Saying Jack? Is it Jack? Jack, yep. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, that makes and sense. Could, and it could be the reason why he's such like a, such a such douche. Such a douche, yeah. He's dealing with the loss of, um, of a dad. At least he's not a 
fucking piece of shit like his dad. Yeah, He's a different yeah. type of piece of shit. <laughs> um, so yeah, I would. Um, that's what I want. That's what I want to. But I guess that's a different conversation about lower decks. But um, yeah, oh, like overall though. Um, this episode with another one, which we'll talk about in a moment is probably my favorite episode of the mm. season. It was a lot of fun. The writing was really good. The jokes were good. Um, just overall it was brilliant. Yeah. My, my brain and my, my science guy, I want to say that Ad Astra is my favorite episode of the oh, season. Of course. But I think my heart's got to go with this one, just because. Oh wow! Just because Ad Astra does have a few little inconsistencies, whereas this, I can't, I can't fault a single. This scene. was pretty perfect. I can't, I can't fault anything in it. In that, something that I would change, or something that gets in the way of any established canon. Um, like this episode, it actually had the potential. To really destroy some things in canon. Yeah, absolutely. It had the potential just to fall flat. Yeah. But it just didn't. It, it was it, so good. It had the potential to just be like, oh, we're just naming things that people know. We're giving you member berries. But it's like everything tracked. It wasn't just Boimler and Mariner making fun of the, of the Strange New Worlds crew. They were giving it back. You know, the little jokes about, wow, they talk really fast and, and are oddly specific with their references. And so it was a nice back and forward. I wasn't expecting it to start and finish as a Lower Decks episode, you know, with the animated um, start and then the animated opening was a nice surprise. Yeah. And you know I'm not a big fan of the opening credits of um, of Strange New Worlds, but I thought the, the mashup of Strange New Worlds and then adding the little bits and pieces I think was great. Oh, God, what is this? No. <laughs> They're both terrible. <laughs> it's funny. I don't like the Strange New Worlds opening credits. I don't like the Lower Decks opening credits. But when you combine them for this episode's opening credits... Yeah, it was brilliant. really good. It was, it was brilliant. Like, yeah. Everything, the whole episode was excellent. Yeah. Like, And it is rated a 9.1. It is the highest or well, top rated episode on IMDb for the entire season. Yeah. Yeah. So, and... Yeah, this like we spoke about it with Ad Astra Perispera, but this will be one of those episodes that is spoken about for years to come. I think so. I'm I'm torn on whether I want them to try and do something like this again. I think it's better left as just a one and done. And yeah, like you're saying, if if there's a way to get some strange new worlds cast on an episode of Lower Decks, I think that's probably a better way to go. Go that way to mm-hmm. send your live action to the animation. I think you've peaked in terms of trying to send your animated characters to live action. Um, so just keep doing it the other way. I reckon um, Ortegas would be a good one to send to Lower Decks. Well. she's She's got that fun side about her. Yes, but in that final, uh, final scene where all the Strange New Worlds cast are animated, her voice didn't sound right. Okay. So, and in the same way, this, in the same way, I don't like animated or ta- uh, animated Mariner. I think that's got to do with whoever the voice director is. I okay. think they're giving her a bum steer because, as an actress in her own right, she's fucking phenomenal. Oh yeah, like it, when she's in, was it Space Force? Yeah, she's great in that. She's great in that, and and in this, she was really really great. I think I got to see more of the 
light and shade in who she is as a character and when she has a little size and when she talks quieter and then talks bigger and you can tell when she's putting on a facade for versus when she's being genuine, uh, which I don't think the animation and the voice director are syncing up as well in Lower Decks. Um, and yeah, Ortega sounded weird in that. Like I, d- I didn't get the sparkle in Melissa Navia's eye and that little wry smile she has. Mm. I didn't get that in her voice when she did the animated stuff. So, um, but yeah, that would be interesting. I, I wouldn't mind seeing uh, a few more crossovers, and it would be so much easier to do in Lower Decks because it doesn't have to be a time travel. It can be a it can be a holodeck situation. It can be, oh, yeah, whatever you know. Yeah, like Boimler writes another holodeck thing. And, yeah, yeah, and they show up. Like you know, I didn't mind the Kira one. I also didn't love it. <laughs> uh, I loved all the the do another lap around Deep Space Nine. Yeah, that stuff was fun. But the Shaq's Kira storyline really rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah, okay. I liked um, it. And I think the mistake they made with Quark is they didn't make Armin Shimmerman put the teeth back in. So when he was voicing Quark... The voice was different. The voice was wrong. I mean, obviously he's aged also 20 years, mm. 25 years almost now since he's Yeah, because those cast. teeth would make your voice different. They changed yeah. the way he's got to move his lips and stuff. So they needed to put... Even if you know those teeth don't exist, they needed to put something in there for him to sort of munch on to work around to give us that proper quark voice, I think. Anyway, great episode. I enjoyed Fantastic. it. Fantastic. Ne- I've seen it probably three times now. You know? Yeah. Love it. Yep. Next episode was episode eight, Under the Cloak of War. Mm. Captain Pike and his crew welcome a Klingon defector aboard the USS Enterprise, but his presence triggers the revelation of some shocking secrets. This... Oh, so... Between those old scientists at Astra Perispera and Under the Cloak of War, for me, those are my top three episodes. Oh, I thought Subspace Rhapsody would be your thing. Ah, no. Oh. no, no. So, like, those are my top three in no particular order. Mm. Uh, well, if I was to do an order of the top three, would be those old scientists under the cloak of war, then at Astra Perispera. Interesting. Yeah, you did. You did. I remember, do remember the conversation we had? You connected quite a lot to um, to Mbenga. Like one, yeah. so. Mbenga, like as I said it when we watched this episode, that Mbenga is probably my favourite character of Strange New Worlds. Yeah. And I probably do connect with him because of my own war experience. Yeah. And some of the things that he's been through and experienced and things like that. Um, I just think it was really well written, yeah. um, really well acted. We got a lot of backstory on Mbenga and Chapel as well. And, you know, we got to see... Um, Andorians, um, there was a lot of hard decisions that had to be made, like where they had to clear the transporter buffer out. Yeah. Um, you know, the needs of the many, that way those are the few type of thing. And yeah, it was just overall for me, it had a lot of meaning um, because of what I've been through and a lot of what my friends have been through and those that I've served with and stuff. Like, I don't like at the end of the day, you know, just a really good, meaningful episode for me personally. Yeah. No, I remember the conversations we had. This um, this one definitely resonated with you. I really enjoyed, I, I think I agree with everything you said uh, with the caveat of I don't think they realised the Klingon characters. What did they end up naming him in the end? What, what did he go by? Jar or Car or Jan or whatever it was? I'd have to check my notes. So. Um, I don't think they resolved him completely as a character i still don't understand i was invested the whole time ambassador dakra 
Ra. That's right. Ian goes, call me Ra. Um, Played by Robert Wisdom. Yeah. I was invested the whole way until the big revelation where Imbenga's like, oh, I'm actually the butcher of Jagal. Yeah. And I'm like, huh? And the more I've thought about it in the week since, the less sense it makes to me um, in that where where was Ra's moment where he realised, like, did he actually ever want peace? Like, he's now with the Federation advocating for peace. But in the flashbacks, the last thing we saw was him ordering them to kill children and all that. Like, he gave that order. Basically, he's a coward. He's without honour. He ran away to leave his men to be slaughtered, took credit for, you know, like his men, um, like killing a whole bunch of people. And it wasn't him ever at all. Like, and that's why but, he's left. But it, but it was him. He gave the order. Like in, in the flashbacks at the end, they say he gave the order, kill kill anyone on the planet who isn't Klingon, including the women, women and children or whatever. So, because uh, um, Chapel has that moment where it's like, Oh, he's murdering children now. He gave that order. Yes, but I think he's trying to say that he didn't give that order and he killed his men to stop them doing that. But he didn't kill his men. Mbeka did. No, but he's he's making everyone else think that he did, which is why he's the butcher of Jagol. Right, but that leads back to my, at what point did he then decide he wanted peace and started working for the Federation? I guess because he didn't want to go and... You know, face his people for murdering his own guys. I don't know. But Klingons love murder. murdering their own if people. You, if you if you murder someone in the right circumstances in honorable combat, you're you're a legend. Mm. So, so that's what like I so the, it, to is me it, the character is it, of Ra wasn't fully realized. Is it honorable that he killed his men? You know, like going with the story. Is it honourable that he killed his men because they were killing women and children? Or, like, he's called the Butcher of Jagal because he did butcher his own men? Like, that's that's why he's called the Butcher of Jagal, but he right? Did. He didn't. But nobody, and, uh, the only he, person that knew that was Mbenga. But is he getting the name Butcher of Jagal for killing three generals? Is I that, think so. Really? Yeah. I feel like most Klingons can do that before breakfast. Like... But he he wouldn't have got that title until he left Jagal. But why did he leave Jagal? Because the Federation was winning. See now, Maddie and I have to go back and rewatch this. I'm episode. not. I'm not rewatching it. <laughs> I've re- I've it was it a heavy twice. episode. I've watched it twice. Like I mean, I agree with everything you said. The Mbenga stuff was great. Not a problem. I just don't understand Ra. I don't understand, does he really want peace? Is he hiding out with the humans just because no one else will have him? But I feel like if if the Klingons sent him to exile, he could just quite happily live in exile. Yeah, what, why didn't the Klingons send one of their human-looking Klingons to murder him? Yeah, and why does he want, why does he want peace? Um, there, there, Mbenga was on a rampage, would have killed a bunch of Klingons to get to those final three, 
but those final three were the ones protecting him so that he could escape. So I understand him making up the story because that's the story that would have got him shunned by the Klingons Mm. is, oh, you coward, you ran away while your men stood and defended you while you ran away like a coward. That's the story that would have got him excommunicated with from the Klingons. Yeah, you're right. Mm. Cowardly conduct. Because if you go back to like Deep Space Nine when they talk about how Klingon ships are run, it's like dereliction of duty, cowardice. Those are the things that a first officer can replace their captain for. You know what I mean? So I, I don't understand Ra. I don't, I don't understand. And because we don't find out right to the very, very end, and we, and we spoke about it in the episode, because we don't find out right to the very, very end that Mbenga is actually the guy that killed those three Klingon generals. All the, all the back and forward exposition that Ra and Mbenga have during their sparring match to me falls on deaf ears until the second time you watch it and you go, oh. So I feel like as an audience member, I needed to know much earlier in the episode that it was actually Mbenga. And I wanted to watch Mbenga do the vocal Olympics and, and stuff to to trap him into and expose him. But at no point was... Ra exposed at any point because they had to Chapel and Mbenga still had to hide the fact that Mbenga was the butcher. So yeah. they've killed Ra, but the story of Ra still lives on. So if anything, he's like a martyr now. I still think Mbenga deliberately and, killed him. Hey? Oh yeah. Like um I don't like I still don't like the direction around that moment where they we cut to outside the the frosted glass and stuff like that. Like I it didn't make any sense to me. Um, so, yeah, there's that whole chunk in the middle there that I just I don't understand, but I agree with everything you said about all the flashbacks. And mm-hmm. I love the, I don't want to say 180, but just the course correction we've made with Mbenga from season one to season two. I remember when we were first introduced to him in, in season one and I was like, oh, so he's got a kid in a transporter. I'm like, that's... And that's not going to last some more than one or two episodes. Spoiler alert, in episode nine, we got one episode about it and his daughter's gone. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, what are they going to do with him now? And they've given us this oh, really yeah. cool, interesting, um, like really rich backstory that you kind of go, yeah, he's done some fucked up stuff, but he's done it for a reason. Like he's not a villain. He's just experienced a lot of shit. And then the end of this episode, as much as I get confused and frustrated with that sort of, sort of, you know, all the, all the revelations. It's like the conversation that he and Pike have at the end, I really, really love. So I'm conflicted with this episode. I really, really want to like it, but I think there was some lazy and unfinished writing in the middle that stops me from connecting it to on an emotional level in the way you would because y- you've lived that. You've lived a lot of that kind of shit. I think, and there's definitely more to tell with Mbenga as well. Yeah, yeah, like, absolutely. Um, but one one of the things I really do like about this as like we get to see like Babs as an actor, he gets to use his like Brazilian jiu-jitsu mm. and fighting skills a lot. And they really leaned into yeah. him as a person and his skills, which I think must be like, I'm not an actor, but I think that must be nice for him because it's sort of in his wheelhouse. It's comfort for him yeah, as well. If, if, you've, if you've got an actor who has certain... Uh, abilities and you can write to that 
great because it looks more authentic on screen oh, as, as like, a viewer. The, just the way he like because I I've done some Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and all that sort of stuff throughout my life, and the way he moves is just amazing. And yeah, he is a black belt. So anyway, the next episode probably this is my least personal <laughs> least favorite episode of the season: Subspace Rhapsody. So, an accident with an experimental quantum probability field causes everyone on the Enterprise to break uncontrollably into song, but the real danger is that the field is expanding and beginning to impact other ships, allies, and enemies alike. So, this episode, it had the potential to be fun. Yeah. Like, it really, like, I was, I was open to it. And I still am to an extent. I was not. Based on, like, I didn't know the musical was going to be a thing until I saw the trailer. Okay. And based on the trailer, I went, that does not look good. I am a hardcore musical fan. Oh, did you do your homework? Did you watch the Buffy episode? No. You son of a bitch. <laughs> busy, mate. You busy. You son of a bitch. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I went in very worried because I went, this does not look good. But just two weeks earlier... They fucking Una reverse me and proved me wrong where I went into those little scientists going, I'm not looking forward to this. And I fucking loved that shit. So so oh. I was open to being proven wrong. Um, Weirdly, even though it was the only episode, I literally walked away from the screen at one point um, and was drinking the whole time to try and get through it. It actually wasn't my least favorite episode. Oh, interesting. Like... I think I I respect the attempt. I respect the swing and big because they did it. They did it with those old scientists. And it's not and the they, first time we've seen singing in Star Trek. Like no, not by a long not. way, but it's the first time they've actually done a proper musical episode. Yeah. For the full episode. I mean, yeah. um, the doctor had his like musical dream where he's like performing opera and then, Tuvok goes into Ponfar and all that kind of stuff. So it's like we've seen individual numbers like that. Um, there's been some great musical stuff in Deep Space Nine oh, yeah. and Voyager all through. Um, the first full musical, yeah. Yeah, even in like The Next Generation, like in, um, uh, was it Insurrection? You know, there's a lot of singing oh, yeah. in that as well. And I mean, very early on in Next Generation, like fucking uh, Reich would always yep. pull the trombone out or whatever and away yeah, and do go. the jazz stuff, yep. Yeah. Um, so yeah, music music has a place in in Star Trek one hundred percent. Absolutely. Um, this, unfortunately, in the way they took a big swing, like they did with those old scientists, and hit a home run with those old scientists, they took a swing here, and to me, struck out. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think this needed to be wor- workshopped more. I think it needed more time. I think they should have pushed it back to next season. Um, it was just. A disaster all over the place. Some of the actors, though, like they do have singing backgrounds as well. Yes, I and would say they did quite well. I would say the Buffy musical is better written and like and better overall, but the cast of Strange New Worlds have much better singing voices. Really? Okay. Yes, there was a lot more auto tune and just straight up bad singing in the Buffy stuff. Whereas a lot of this, the crew here have naturally good singing. Oh, so like La'an. So what, Christina Chong, she's just yeah. released an album. Um, 
Who we got? Um, Jess Bush has a great voice. Jess Bush, she Ethan, she was fine. Ethan Peck has a wonderful voice. Yep. Um, uh, Celia, uh, what's her last Celia name? Rose Gooding. That's the one. Yep. Uh, she's got a fantastic voice. Yep. Again, they I spoke about it in the episode. They they wrote a few songs though that they they didn't factor in the actors' abilities because as strong as Celia is in her big big number at the end or just before the end. She was out of her out of her range when she got yeah. those really really high notes. Same with Ethan Peck; he's beautiful. When he first started, like he sang the first few notes at the very beginning of the episode, beautiful lower register. And then when he sang his "I'm the X" towards the end, again the lower stuff, beautiful. Um, but the execution was off. So I I didn't talk about it in the episode because I wasn't sure. But I went back and had a listen, and if you listen to uh, Chapel's song, I'm Ready. And then you listen to Kirk's song, oh, Kirk, Spock's song, I'm the X. It's the same song. Yeah, right. So they both start with the same opening line. They're both sung in the same um, cadence. So it's like, it's almost like that song was supposed to be a duet. And I wish you'd watched the Buffy musical because I could have sort of, sh- you would have known the the comparison I'm making where it's like Giles sings a song and then Tara sings a song and then later on there's a mashup and they're singing both their songs at the same time but they overlap in a really beautiful harmonic way Mm -hmm. and it's just really well constructed and I feel like that may have been the intention for... Because they used the Buffy Buffy episode as like their marker to, to aim for. Yeah. Yeah. And like obviously I've seen little bits on YouTube of that Buffy episode, but they just they they didn't quite make it for me. Yeah from what I've seen. Um, like let me, let me just um like it, it it still progressed the story of Strange New Worlds. Well see, I don't think it did in terms of Spock and Chapel's relationship. Well, I guess now that we've seen hegemony. So. Yeah, it didn't really do anything. Um we seem to go backwards with um La'an and Ahura dealing with their grief. Um, yeah, it just felt all over the place for me. So, um, yeah, have a listen to this. Sorry to put everyone through it again. <laughs> so, this... Um, and the opening line was This news really changes everything And then you get to Spock's song This news really changes everything Yeah So they're actually the same song all the way through it. So it's like either they've just cheated and they've just copied and pasted, um, <laughs> which is lazy and they should be wrapped across the knuckles for that. Or it was originally intended as some kind of big um, uh, reprise, like either Spock was singing a reprise of a um, mm-hmm. chapel song or it was intended to be um, a duet and they were supposed to be overlapping 
And then they just kind of decided against it and didn't, do, and which again is lazy and shouldn't have been done. So the whole thing wasn't, despite uh, Chapel Song saying I'm ready, this episode wasn't ready. No. <laughs> it wasn't ready at all. Well, and I, I know I've been, you know, and Maddie have both been pretty critical of this episode. Like, do I hate it? No, I don't hate it because there are some good, um, good moments in this episode. And like some of the songs, they are a little bit catchy, but I think like they're not memorable. Like mm. I didn't remember all of them from the first time I heard them. I need to watch it again. Yeah, a few it wasn't. Times. It wasn't musically enough. Like it was just a lot of the well, clearly the same song over and over again. I want give me some big, like nineteen fifties big bet. Like the the song that Ahura plays at the start of the episode that causes the whole thing in the first place. Put it all into that kind of vibe. Mm. Or what Buffy did really really well is they the style of music sort of related to the character and the kind of character they are will be the kind of song they would sing. So I don't know that while I think maybe Jess Bush's song was one of the stronger ones, like it didn't match her character because we don't know these characters enough yet. Um, and, you know, you can go back and listen to the episode. I was critical to of, of, of yeah, that, that last song of Ahura's at, towards the end there. Like it, the tone was all off just in terms of what she was singing about and how she was singing it and and going back and forward. I, I, I don't I, – yeah, I just, it just wasn't successful. But like I said, I it's not my least favourite um, episode of the season because I respect the effort. And maybe over time it will grow on me. And I know that the online the fandom is ravenous for it. There is a large subgroup that think it is one of the best fucking things. Oh, yeah. There's heaps of – television. Like- and if that's if that's the case, great, more power to you. I would say maybe maybe watch some more musicals. If you look through uh, like Facebook comments and Instagram comments and stuff about this episode, yeah, there is a large area of the fandom that loves it. it. And like people are posting the um like all of the music from uh was it SoundCloud? Not SoundCloud, sorry, what's the other um uh, Oh Spotify. Spotify. Like the whole album, people are like listening to it in their cars and stuff. I'm like, great, that that is actually really good. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, just because I don't particularly like this episode and Maddie doesn't partic- doesn't mean that other people can't. And that's the beauty of being fans of shows and just people in general. We're all different. Yeah, and it's like there. Oh, I don't. Know, there might be people out there who was like, well, I think those old scientists was a shit episode. Yeah, I think there there has been. I've seen that. Astra. It's like cool. Well. If you can get something out of an episode that we don't like and we can get something out of an episode you don't like, well, it's like, well, then we're all happy. It's not, they're not always going to be 10 out of 10s. So it's like, but if, as long as, you know, some people are enjoying it, great. I hope they don't try and do it again next season like Archie and Riverdale and all those people did where they would just do a musical every, every season. Because, fuck, they were terrible. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping it'll grow on me, but I don't have high hopes. And it's one of those episodes that I'm not going to skip. I will rewatch it again. Yeah. And I'll probably rewatch it this next week just because we've spoken about it again. And I just want to I, I, I want to experience it again to see if I like it more. I want to like it. I just yeah. don't think I can get myself across the line. Yeah, like you're right. Like and saying that you want to like it, like mm. That's how I feel too. I want to like it because yeah. I went into this episode wanting to like it, and I didn't. As I said before, I didn't hate it, but it's just it's for me. It's the weakest episode of the season. Yeah, it was just it just they missed. It was a swing and a miss. Yeah, 
Anyway, the last episode of the season, uh, and you know, just last week we watched it, uh, season two, episode 10, Hegemony. So when the Enterprise investigates an attack on a colony at the edge of Federation space, uh, outside of Federation space, <laughs> Captain Pike and the crew uh, face the return of a formidable enemy. So this episode was set up way back in the first episode of the season, mm. The Broken Circle. And there was no sort of drip feeding throughout the season to get here. It just sort of got here yeah. at the end. Like, I really think they should have drip fed us a little bit more, saying, like, the the Gorn are slowly taking up. Like, when they, like, had the Borg, like, the Borg was slowly yeah. um, overtaking parts of space. Like, they should have had the Gorn going through and destroying planets. And then, obviously, because Federation space is massive, like, it's taken us, you know, 10 episodes to get there. Yeah, just, I think, and I said it last week, I think they're tying themselves up in knots now trying to get around any canon issues. Um, just embrace it or don't, you know, just, it, it's getting a little muddy and a little weird and... Like, I say that, so for me, I say that canon matters, but at the same time, canon doesn't really matter because, like, like it does and it doesn't, like, if that makes sense, because... Like, yes, things have changed. Like, people complain about, like, the look of the Enterprise mm. compared to, like, when we originally saw the Enterprise in the original series. Like, that look is canon, I guess. You know, like, people yeah. people are going to find things to whinge about no matter what. And, you know, when you've got a series that spans 60 years of, you know, canon, you know, you are going to most likely get things wrong and not everybody's going to be happy with everything yeah i think it's just the the problem that i have is and i may have said it maybe at the start of this or maybe last week it's like well if you're not going to do the research and make sure everything's airtight don't bother like you're you're doing this as part of an uh, part of an ip and part of a you know a long-running um franchise you could have just done a lower decks. You could have done a, a live action lower decks, set it after Voyager, and you've got a lot more wiggle room to work in. These people chose to create a show that well, they created the show because people wanted it. Yeah, but it's like okay, we're going to build a show that is butts right up against um, the original series, even closer than what Discovery did. Uh, drink. Um, <laughs> and then it's, you're going to draw comparisons no matter what. And it's like, well, if you just do something original, then it's fine. So if, if you're going to write something and you're that because you want or an already established audience so that your thing can be a hit, well, do the research and don't be like, well, we're going to scoot around this and say canon doesn't really matter. It's like, well, if canon doesn't really matter, then why are you creating the show based on canon that exists? Like, I th you know, I think that the way they are writing the Gorn, they are quite an interesting enemy. Absolutely. Like, I think mean, they're just knocking off Alien. Yeah. Which, yeah. To an which I'm yeah. cool with. Yeah. Because it's Alien's like, excellent. <laughs> yeah. It's a great, it's a great movie franchise. It's, and like we said last week, it's like, being that it's a streaming service now, the original broadcast stuff could never get this gory, so it's adding an extra level of gore. Absolutely. Um, I did mention last week too, it's like you're never going to please everybody because it's like in the same way I have issues with 
like the Gorn having tails and the stuff around arena. It's like that bugs me, but it's like the bridge looking different doesn't bug me. And then old mate on Trek cultures, like he's like, Oh, I'm not bothered with tails, but I am bothered with the way Kirk killed that one thing because of this one line in enterprise, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. So it's like, we all have our own, the line must be drawn here this far no further. Um, Keep talking. <laughs> so that's, I guess, what makes it hard from a creative the point The line has to be drawn here this far and no further. I put that one in there for you, mate. <laughs> like, but, yeah, I also like this one. The line must be drawn here this far, no further. Both classics. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess, yeah, we all have our own things that just bug us and other things we're like, it's fine, you know? Um, the look of the Enterprise at the moment, I'm kind of like, it's fine. Like that, I like the look of the ship. Yeah, I think I think the bridge is really, really pretty. Um, I went back and watched the um, the short track Q and A uh, yesterday, and sort of looking back, it's like as much as I enjoyed that, it looks a lot better now. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's very, very pretty. I don't, I don't mind. Like it, it's an homage. Like it's as close as as, as it can be. So. I kind of have to just put out of my brain the fact that the D Space Nine crew went literally to the, <laughs> the Kirk Bridge yep. and were living there in cardboard. Um, so I, I just try not to think about that and not let it worry me. So I just try and think about what's happening in this show, I guess. And, and yeah, I guess for me, it's the it's the 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 young uh, young Scotty. It's the Giant tails on the Kirk. Oh, on, on the Kirk. <laughs> giant tails on the Gorn. Um, yeah, but again, it could be one of those things where by the time you reach, you know, season five and as and maybe the show finishes then. Maybe the, um, for all we know, the show's done now. Yeah. Like with the writer strike. Um, it could it could all wrap up in a nice little bow and we're just impatiently wanting the rest of the information um, to get there. And that's, I guess, the, the hard part about watching a show as it's airing. I'm I'm sure during Deep Space Nine there were, you know, instances in season three or four where you're like, oh, that's so... And you don't get a resolution till season six or something like yeah. that. I I can't think of any that come to mind, um, but I came to that show late, I think. So, yeah, I don't know. I just... Anyway, overall, Maddie, um, I really enjoyed this season. Mm. A strong season overall with a couple of just regular sort of in the middle ish type of episodes. Yeah, peaks and valleys for me. I think last season was generally pretty good across, except for episode eight. Um, and then this season had a few more peaks and valleys for me. But that also could just be because I have higher expectations this season. Because, because the first season was so good. Well, no, yeah, because the first season was so good and I went into the first season having zero expectations because at that point I only had Discovery really to compare it to. So I was like, well, it can't be worse, can it? <laughs> uh, and it ended up being like... I think, oh, it ended up being way better. I think I said that I was crying in the first episode when, when Pike gave his big sort of speech towards the end there and, and there was the montage of, you know, um, all the rights and stuff going on. I got misty-eyed. Like, it was so well done. Um, and I felt that same way again during um, Ad Astra. You know, I got quite um, quite emotional about it. And even in um, even in Hegemony, um, something I really really liked right 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 at the end is Pike beams back to the ship, sees that Chapel's alive, 
goes in for the hug. Yeah. I was He's like, happy to see her. Oh, and I love a captain who can hug their crew. That's something Janeway always did. Mm-hmm. She could hug her crew. Picard would never. Well, no, Picard no. Next Generation could never. Um, and then like Cisco, it's like he had his son there. So that was his. He could be very soft with his son and they would hug each other and kiss each other. And the idea that in the 90s, a black uh, single father could be that, emotional with his son where they could have those heart-to-hearts where they could hug and kiss each other as father and son on television and I was so rare and so precious so you know we got those kind of things so I, I love being to have being able to see the softer side of a mm-hmm. captain um so yes yeah, seeing um seeing Pike being able to hug Chapel like that and it, not everyone go oh that's weird or oh the captain's hugging one of you yeah it was just I'm so glad you're alive. Mm-hmm. Was such a really, really touching moment. So there's, there's little things in every episode this season that I've loved, but then there's been more things this season where I've gone, ooh. ooh Th- than the first season. I wouldn't have done yeah. that. I wouldn't so have done that. So anyway, where do we go from here with Strange New Worlds? Oh I my God. don't know. That's literally the last song in the Buffy musical. Where do we go <laughs> from here? We, we don't know when Strange New Worlds will be back. When does the end? So the next season of Star Trek that we are going to see will be uh, Lower Decks. Tell me, where do we go from here? All right. You done, Matty? I could keep going. No, please don't. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, the next season of Star Trek that's going to be on streaming or TV Mm. is... Lower Decks. In a couple of weeks still? Yeah, like four or five weeks or so. Is it September it comes out? Oh, look, I will have to look, but yeah. Well, we're wrapping things up, so if we don't look now, we'll never know. <laughs> then after that, we're going to get the final season of Discovery. Which, look, I'm that much of a masochist. I will watch it. Yeah, I'll watch it as well. And Look, um, look I'm not going to say I'm going to hate watch it. I go, in, I go in very open-minded for the first episode or two. Usually by episode three, I'm hate watching. Now, um, just for those that will ask as well, Maddie and I are probably not going to do a weekly episode by episode of Lower Decks. It appears 7th of September. Okay, so that's not that maybe, far away. Maybe the first episode. Right. Um, I reckon I can convince Maddie to do a... Um, episode by episode for season five of Discovery? Absolutely not. I reckon I can. I can you, convince him. No, oh, you'd have a better chance convincing me to do an episode by episode of Lower Decks. Well, lo- look, I, I, I'd love to do episode by episode of Lower Decks, but we'll see what happens. because yeah. I don't think there's enough. A 20-minute episode, I just don't think there's enough to pot about. We, 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 might do, um, we might do episode by episode, but we might split it up into two-week blocks. Like, come back every two weeks. I don't know. It just depends on... Yeah. Could maybe work. Like, obviously, we've both got lives outside of doing this mm. podcast. Um, we've both got jobs and I could, got family. I could quite happily just do a season wrap on um, uh, on Lower Decks. Because it's going to be 10 episodes. Yeah. I could do that. But obviously, that's a long time to wait. So, yeah, maybe we could maybe even do like five and five. Like, come in at the midpoint and go... We'll do the first five. And yeah, something I don't like know. that. I don't, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it um, out. Like, this will not be the last uh, making it so, that's no, for sure. No, and dis- Discovery, you've got no chance. Zero chance, mate. I'll, I'll see what I can do. I'll work no, on Maddie. No, unless... Hey, who, who wants to do... 
Yeah, season five of Discovery with me. There's a pro under the table doing things while I'm in front of the microphone. There's no chance. I don't know, mate. I don't have that much money. So (laughs) (laughs) anyway, all right. Overall, a good season. I enjoyed it. Yeah, Yeah, it sounds like Maddie enjoyed it as well. Yeah, Yeah, had peaks and valleys. Overall, still enjoyed myself. Uh, A phrase I come back a lot to is, "Was the juice worth the squeeze?" Absolutely. Um, some of the some of the sips were a little sourer than others, and there was a bit too much pulp. Um, but in total, the juice was worth the squeeze for season two for me. Right. Yeah. So, anyway, until you know you hear from us again, whenever that will be, mm. please feel free to message us on uh, Facebook, Instagram, whatever socials that uh, we're on. All right. Where can we find you on socials, Matty? Not on Facebook because I'm not a hundred. <laughs> Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Hi Bitch Maddie. H I G. Was that Hi Bitch Maddie? <laughs> <laughs> Hi Bitch Maddie. H I G H P I T C H M A T T Y. And you can find myself at Geek in Camo. Yeah. Right, I've actually really enjoyed doing this season. Um, yeah, you know, watching these episodes and doing this show. You know, and for you guys reaching yeah, out and messaging us. I think I think I enjoyed it more than most of season three of Picard, mm-hmm. just because it's more in that standalone sort of style so I could enjoy things without it affecting everything. Whereas, yeah, with Picard, it was very much, well, I'll have to wait till next week to see if I'm still angry about that or still angry about this. And, you know, there was, as, there was some fantastic highs in that, but some really, really low lows. Whereas this, I feel, was a little more uh, enjoyable all the way through. Like certain things you go, yeah, I don't like that. But each episode did have fantastic stuff. Except not enough Erica, but... Yeah, well, I'm hoping the next season we get a lot more of Erica. Mm, Fingers crossed. I want to see... I actually want to see more Una and Spock. I want to see them doing stuff. They bounce off each other quite well. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's because I just, like I said, I watched that, uh, the the short trek. Yeah, if you haven't seen Uh, that short trek, go back and watch it. Like It's on YouTube. You just have to ignore... It's on Paramount Plus and stuff as well. You just have to ignore those horrible um, cutaway shots where they show the stupid Discovery-style turbo lifts that are just like the turbo lifts are just flying through a void on rails yeah, in these giant vast cavities of like, oh, it, it hurt my eyes. And I remembered, I, I remembered the last like time I had like a Discovery headache and that it gave me one of those. <laughs> um, but the actual stuff inside the turbo lift, fantastic. And I do kind of wish they would bring back that Spock um, wig because it was kind of cool. Anyway, until we are back again, whenever that is for making mm. it so, Maddie and I, uh, wait, wait, uh, uh. girls, guys, and Janice, there it is. we're out of here. See you later. Where do we go? Bye. From here. Get into geek.